John Calvin, relax, I'm not going there. Um, but John Calvin, the Protestant church reformer, um, he was the pastor at St. Pierre Cathedral in Geneva, Switzerland in the 16th century. And he was preaching through the book of Psalms, fulfilling his pastoral duty, preaching through the Bible, and he was preaching through the book of Psalms. Well, after years of being at St. Pierre Cathedral in Geneva, a conflict arose with the city officials and between Calvin and the city government, and he was actually banished from the city of Geneva, from Switzerland, and exiled to France, to Strasbourg, France, where he spent three years in exile. So think of this for a moment. This guy is exiled by the city. He's banished. He says, you can no longer preach the gospel here. He spends three years in France. And after three years, he's finally allowed back into Switzerland. And he goes back to his previous church on his first Sunday back after being exiled for three years. He steps into the pulpit behind the lectern at St. Pierre Cathedral, opens his Bible to the very place in the Psalms where he left off three years earlier. And he said, now, where were we? And he began teaching the Psalms as if he'd never left. And I've always thought that's a pretty cool story. Um, I've been away only for two months, uh, not because of any political conflict with the city, uh, but because our deacons and you all graciously uh, gifted my family and me a sabbatical, a time where I was able to get out of the city and rest and pray and study and spend time with my family and get re-energized and refreshed for a new season of ministry here at Crossroads. But... After nine weeks away from teaching at this church, I stand here today with my Bible open, like Calvin, and I ask, where were we? We were studying through the Gospel of John, and if you have your Bible, you can open it to John chapter 10. And my last teaching here was on John chapter 9, and this was the account of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. Jesus, if you remember, this man has been blind since birth. Jesus comes into town, sees him in his affliction, puts mud on his eyes, and then told him to go wash it off. And when this man washed his eyes, light rushed in and he could see for the first time in his life. And you would think this would be just exciting news for everybody. I mean, it was certainly exciting for him and his family. They were excited about it. But there was a group of men who were very upset that this man had been healed. The Pharisees were their name the religious leaders of that time. And they were upset that Jesus had performed a miracle on the Sabbath. Apparently, that you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath and healing somebody from an affliction. That sounds like a lot of work. You can't do that. So they were upset about it. Not only that, they were a little upset. These were powerful men. They were upset that Jesus was going around and he was at this point drawing lots and lots of followers. And they felt threatened by Jesus' power and his authority. And so they actually punished the man who was healed for being healed. And they banished him from the synagogue and they cast him out. You see, the Pharisees, they believed themselves to be the gatekeepers of righteousness. They saw themselves as the gatekeepers to the very heart and the welcoming of God himself. And so if you wanted to be acceptable to God, you first, in their minds, had to go through them. And this became a real problem because it wasn't the law of God found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that these men were enforcing. They were actually enforcing their own laws that they had created in addition and sometimes, oftentimes, in place of God's laws. 
And so they had all these man-made laws in addition and sometimes in place of God's laws, and they were holding people to that standard. And often you had to be rich and have a lot of free time to actually do some of the laws that they put out. And so they had this really exclusionary type of practice of religion. And they said, if you don't do it perfectly like we say, then you'll be cast out of the synagogue. You'll be cast out of the family of God. And they felt that if you wanted to obey... And by the way, if you want to see just a good visual of the, the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. Have you guys seen this new TV show called The Chosen? It, it, this, it plays up the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees so well. Check this show out. It's incredible. Uh, you find it on Peacock, I think, but also on YouTube. It's an app called The Chosen, all of that. Check it out. But the Pharisees, they felt that if you wanted, it, it, that if you wanted to obey God and be accepted by God and be healed by God, you had to go through them. You had to do things their way, obey their laws, and then they and only they could determine whether you succeeded or whether you failed in the eyes of God. And if they felt you were out of line, they could expel you from the synagogue and cast you out of the family of God. And that's exactly what they did to this man who Jesus healed from blindness. And why? They did it because Jesus healed him. And they were threatened by Jesus's. And they were, they were threatened by Jesus' authority and his power. But they were also upset that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. That was against one of their laws. You're not supposed to spit into the dirt on Sabbath. That was too much work. And Jesus had to spit into the dirt to wipe mud on this guy's eyes. I mean, it's absurd, isn't it? And so when one of their own, they probably knew this man. They spent their lives seeing him on the streets, and this man had been blind since birth. When one of their own was healed by Jesus, they didn't rejoice for him, they didn't celebrate with him, but rather they cast him out because they cared more about themselves, they cared more about their power, their traditions, their systems, their ways, and their culture than they cared for the man himself. And now our passage today is John chapter 10, and so this is all part of the same story. So this is what's going on when Jesus turns his attention to the Pharisees and says to them, John chapter 10, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you. We, we teach from the English Standard Version. It says, truly, truly, I say to you. But in the NIV, it actually translates it more specifically. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, Pharisees. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees here. He compares them to thieves and to robbers. So thieves and robbers, they don't care about the well-being of the sheep in this metaphor. They only care about themselves. What do thieves do? They jump over the fence of the sheep pen to steal sheep to exploit them and to lay heavier burdens on them. And this is what Jesus accuses the Pharisees of. These are harsh words. Because the Pharisees, they would say, no, 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 we're leading people to righteousness. We're leading people to God. We're, we are a gift to the people. And Jesus is saying, no, you're thieves and robbers stealing life from them. And if you've ever gone, well, gee, I wonder why Jesus was crucified. This is why. Because he was speaking harsh words to very powerful people. And then Jesus says in verse 2, he says, But he who enters by the door, a thief jumps over the sheep pen and steals the sheep, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from them, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus says, hey, look, thieves, robbers, they jump over the wall, they jump over the fence, and they steal the sheep against their will. But a good and a true shepherd walks through the gate, calls his sheep, and they follow him because the sheep know and trust the voice of their shepherd. Just like the man born blind in this story listened and trusted the voice of Jesus, Jesus says sheep listen to their shepherd. And it says in verse 6, I love this, it says this figure of speech that Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Translation, these guys were idiots. They don't understand, like what is Jesus talking about? Like we don't understand, you're speaking in all these metaphors, like this is, this is too much for us to understand. So Jesus repeats himself. It says, so Jesus said to them in verse 7, again, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. All who came before me, that's you. All who came before me, Pharisees, were thieves and robbers. That's what you are. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, often that passage, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, is often attributed like that's Satan. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees here. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's a larger metaphor going on here about a shepherd. Jesus is going to say next week, I am the good shepherd. But within this metaphor is another metaphor where he says, I am the gate. I am the door of the sheep is what he says. And that's what we're looking at today. So a while back, I was walking through Strand Bookstore, my favorite place in all of New York City, other than Crossroads Christian Church, of course. And I was walking through Strand, this was a while back, and I saw a, a photography book, you know, one of those big coffee table books. And it caught my eye, and I started flipping through the pages, and it was a, a book of, of a street photographer who took photos of various doors all throughout New York City. And he compiled them into one collection. And so I began flipping through the pages, and was just kind of fascinated by this book. There were all kinds of doors, expensive and ornate doors. There were uh, subway doors, there were theater doors, bank doors. Uh, church doors, doors covered in graffiti and stickers and political slogans. There were doors with beautiful art murals painted on them. There were doors to restaurants, doors to apartment buildings, doors to barber shops, doors to nightclubs, and on and on. You get the picture. And it's pretty fascinating to think of all the doors in New York City and the stories, you know, if a, if a, if a door frame could talk, the stories it could tell. Because people walk through these doors every day, and in the going ins and the coming outs of, of a doorway tells a story. Because if you think about it, think about a hospital, for example. You walk in as a sick person, and Lord willing, you walk out of those doors healthy and healed. Some doors offer rest, right? So you walk through your bedroom door tired. And eight hours later, hopefully, you walk out of your bedroom door rested. Some doors offer provision. You walk into a restaurant hungry. You walk out of a restaurant satisfied. Some doors offer protection. I think of the thunderstorm on Friday night. Wasn't that wild? You walk in, you, when that starts happening, you, you get the kids, no more playing outside, can't play in the street, kids. You go inside your house where it's safe, where you're safe from harm, and you, when you, ex you don't exit your house until it's safe again. You walk into safety and walk out into safety. 
You enter a door with a need, and you exit a door, Lord willing, with, your, with those needs met. And Jesus says, I'm the door. Come in and out of me, and you will receive what it is that I offer. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What is Jesus talking about? Imagine a shepherd for a moment in ancient Near Eastern culture of Jesus' time. I know often when we think of good shepherd metaphors, we think of like Scotland and like Lord of the Rings imagery or something, you know what I mean? But this is, this is uh, the Near East, right? So this is rocky wilderness. And shepherds would watch over the sheep during the day in the desert and would lead them to water and to food. And water and food were hard to find. And so it took a good shepherd who knew where to find sustenance and would lead the sheep to what they needed. And they would do that during the day. But then in the evenings, as the sun went down and the darkness came, there were predators and there were thieves and robbers that would want to come after the sheep under the cover of darkness and to prey on the sheep and to devour them and to exploit them. So what did a shepherd do? Check this out. A shepherd would create a fence that looked something like that, either with sticks or with stone, and there would be a small opening, you know, you see it right there, like a door or a gate. And the shepherd would then lead the sheep through that little door and into the sheep pen where there would be safe from predators and safe from thieves and safe from death and exploitation. And then what would happen, and this is such a crucial image for you to understand, is that the shepherd, after the sheep are all safe, the shepherd would then sit and lie down in that opening. And they would block the doorway. So people would say, you know, my English teacher would say, you cannot mix metaphors. Is he a door? Is he a shepherd? What's going on here? It's a metaphor within the metaphor. The shepherd himself actually became the door. And so if a predator or a thief or a robber wanted to get to the sheep, they would literally have to go through the shepherd himself because the shepherd is the door. The shepherd would lay down and would guard the sheep from predators and from thieves. And then think of this beautiful imagery. Then in the morning, the shepherd would arise and lead the sheep back into the pasture to find food and water. This is a beautiful metaphor for who Jesus is and what he accomplishes. You see, Jesus is the door. We go through him and we find salvation. And he lays down and he protects us from our enemies even at great harm to himself. And he then arises and leads us into green pastures and abundant life. Jesus is the door. And so if a sheep wants to be safe from predators and thieves, it's got to do one thing. It's got to walk through the door. If it doesn't walk through the door, it remains exposed, it remains vulnerable, and it probably won't make it. Sheep are not very smart animals, and they, they don't have very... Uh, evolution has not been kind to sheep, so to speak. They don't have sharp teeth. They're not fierce predators. Like, they're nothing. They're vulnerable. And Jesus says we're sheep. And if you want to be safe and you want to experience protection and rest that Jesus offers, you must go through him. He says if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved from what? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Remember, in context, Jesus is calling these religious leaders thieves. And he accuses them of coming to steal, kill, and destroy this man born blind's abundant life. And think about the absurdity of this scene, right? There's a man who is blind from birth. A man, imagine. 
you're born into the world and you can't see. Nothing but darkness. This man lived for decades without seeing his mother's face. He never saw a sunrise. I mean, can you imagine the, the torment of being able to feel the warmth of the sun on your face but not be able to see it with your eyes? This man had no understanding of colors. He had never seen a tree or a river or any, uh, uh, the sky or the clouds or the sun or the moon and the stars. He had never seen any of the beauty of God's creation. But then, one day, Jesus of Nazareth shows up in his town. And Jesus spits into some dirt, stirs it up, puts some mud on his hands, puts mud on the man's eyes and sends the man to the river to wash it off. And when he washes the mud off his eyes, light rushes in and he can see. See, Jesus gives life. Jesus gives sight to the blind. And then imagine just how crazy it would be. The Pharisees go, oh, whoa, that guy's been blind for a while now, right? And now he can see. And the Pharisees come up to the guy and they say, hey, well, hey we just, we're curious. Hey, when did, when did that happen? And he's like, oh, yeah, yesterday on the Sabbath. And they're like, oh, on the Sabbath, you say. You're not supposed to do that. That's against our rules. So, you know what? Get out of the synagogue. You're not welcome here. Isn't that absurd? They didn't want abundant life for this man. They wanted to keep their power and their control. And if this man had listened to the voice of the Pharisees and not to the voice of Jesus, he would have seen nothing but darkness for the remainder of his life. And that seems crazy to us, and we're like, what in the world? But what are the thieves and robbers that are trying to steal our joy and our life from us today? And the first one that I'll give you today is the one that's obvious from the context of this passage, is that there is a type of false religion just like that of the Pharisees that can rob us of hearing the voice of Jesus and experiencing the life that he has for us. False religion is anything that adds additional commands and demands to the way of Jesus. You see, in the letter to the Galatians, something similar was going on. Uh, the Judaizers, also called the circumcision party, which doesn't sound like a fun party that I want to go to, but they were telling the Gentile Christians that if they wanted to be welcomed into the church, they say, hey, look, I know that you guys aren't, not, you're not like us, you're not Jewish like us, but if you want to be welcomed into the church, man, you guys are free, come on, come on. But if you want to really be a part of our church, you've got to be circumcised. And the apostle Paul's like, whoa, 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 time out, wait, you can't, you said what? You said they've got to become like you before they can be welcomed by you? And the Apostle Paul became furious and wrote a scathing letter to these Judaizers saying that they had added to the gospel of Jesus. And he said that by adding to the gospel, you've actually nullified the gospel. And what you're preaching is a false gospel, and it's harming people, not giving them life. And you better stop, Paul says. Paul essentially says that Christ is the only door into the family of God. And he accuses the Judaizers of essentially hopping the fence and trying to steal the sheep and add more burdens onto them. And years ago, we taught through Galatians here at this church, and we said that if you ever add anything to the message of Jesus, if you ever add anything to his life, his death, his resurrection, and his teachings, you actually end up nullifying the whole thing. And we've seen it done many, many times before in our lives if you've been around religion much. People will say that if you want to be accepted by God and our community, whatever community that is, it's got to be Jesus plus our brand of politics. 
And I, Jesus plus conservative politics. And if you don't vote for our guy, then you're not really one of us. And we question your salvation. We question your love for Jesus. And you, you can't be one of us if, you're, if you don't adopt our politics. There's Jesus plus conservative politics, and there's Jesus plus progressive politics. And anytime you you are in a community that is, yes, we love Jesus, but you also got to line up to our politics, or, run. Because Jesus plus politics is not Jesus at all. Because, well, there's Jesus plus cultural preferences and cultural distinctives. You got to be like us to be one of us. We, we won't welcome outsiders. And if you ever veer from sort of what we deem as, as prefer, the preferred way of looking and acting, the moment you cross that line, you're out of here. Jesus plus a dress code or Jesus plus some moral system that is often more demanding than the Bible itself. You see false religion like this all the time and what happens is people will take the gospel of Jesus and then add additional commands and preferences on top of it and treat those commands and preferences as equal to the commands of Jesus and then cast out anyone who doesn't obey and then essentially claim you're not one of the people of God because you don't, you're not like us. And there is a long list of people in my life that I've talked to who have been deeply wounded by false religion like this. And some, many of you are in the room. Jesus says, I'm the door. Jesus says, I am the door. And if you're trying to add to what I am asking of my followers and place more burdens on them, you are nothing but a thief trying to harm the sheep. False religion is a type of thief that tries to take what God has said is good, which is true religion, which is Jesus himself, tries to take what is good and throw some poison into the mix and it makes it all bad. And Jesus says it's like a thief trying to rob life from the people of God. The false religion is not the only thief that threatens to rob us in our lives. There's also sinful rebellion. Listen, the allure of sin is always this. And it, I, I'm not picking on any single sin, whether it's greed or lust or pride or envy or sloth or overindulgence or whatever. The allure of any sin that you can think of, any temptation that is difficult for you, the allure is always this. Come through this door and you will have life. And there are so many voices in our lives that call out and say, go this way. Ooh, those commands of Jesus, those are too restricting. Ooh, that sounds like a narrow door. You don't want to go through that door. Come through our door. That door's robbing you of joy and life. Come through this door where there's so much fun and so much life and vibrancy to be found. But how many of you in this room have the scars and the stories where you said, I listened to that voice and I walked through that door and I realized that it wasn't life on the other side of it, but it was shame and consequences and regret. False religion or sinful rebellion, whatever you choose, both are enemies of the abundant life of Jesus. Jesus says, turn the volume down on those voices and listen to the sound of my voice. I'm the door to life. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. Jesus says, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came, I came, so that you may have abundant life. That means that the door of Jesus is where we find salvation. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from the penalty of our sin. But also the door of Jesus is the way we walk out and find life. 
I want us to consider this imagery again for a moment. We are sheep. We are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to the prey who seek to devour us. We're vulnerable to the robbers who seek to exploit us. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And we're going to elaborate a little more on that metaphor more next week. But the good shepherd does this. He he builds a sheep pen for his sheep to keep him safe from darkness. He builds a, a pen to protect the sheep from all that seeks to harm them and devour them. He has he, he he, he made a way for us to be protected from our enemies, whether that's false religion or sin or Satan or death or judgment or hell itself. And Jesus says, if you walk through the door, if you come through me, you'll, be, you, you'll find safety. But then Jesus lays down in the opening of that door, doesn't he? He becomes the door which through we enter into safety and he becomes the door that protects us from wolves and robbers that seek to devour us. But then in the morning, after the wolves and the robbers have been thwarted, Jesus stands up, the shepherd stands up and leads the sheep back through the door into the pasture where they can find water and food and rest. And if the sheep want to experience abundant life, they must listen to the voice of the shepherd and go through the door that the shepherd has made. And so as we prepare to take communion together, what I want us to do is set our eyes on the cross, which is this metaphor having, becoming reality. You see, this, these same religious leaders that got ticked off at Jesus for healing the man born blind, they're going to put him to death not long after this story. They're going to put him on a cross. And it's on the cross where Jesus took the curse of our sin upon himself. All of the enemies that threatened to take our lives, sin, Satan, darkness, judgment, penalty of sin, all of those things, Jesus takes those on to himself. You see, on the cross, that is Jesus laying down in the doorway and protecting us, uh, uh, protecting us from our enemies and all that seek to devour us. And he promises that all who take cover under his blood, all who enter into his door, who by faith receive his forgiveness will be protected from the enemies of sin, Satan, death, hell, and judgment. Jesus stands in the way of our enemies. He literally lays down his life just like a sheep does, a shepherd does for the sheep so that we could be free from the penalty of sin and no longer subject to the shame of judgment. But just like a shepherd in the morning gets up and leads his sheep out to safety, Jesus He's, he, he's crucified by our enemies. But three days later, he stands up and he says, follow me. And if you will follow me, I will lead you into abundant life. You see, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus becomes the door. The door into which we can be saved from our sin, but also the door in which we can enter and find new life. I love that while I was away, John Chua preached from John, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He restores my soul, and then He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This is what Jesus does. While I was away, Sam Tam also preached, but he preached from Psalm 121, 8. And in this verse, it says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. See, Jesus is the door. There's life in Him, and there's life through Him. So as we get ready to take communion, as we end our time together this afternoon, I encourage you to remember the good shepherd and to remember the door. Jesus laid himself into harm's way 
so that we can be protected from the fangs of the enemy and from those that seek to devour us. But Jesus laid down, he laid his own life down, but he picked it right back up and he leads us through the door and into abundant life.